Salvation is found in no one else, the Bible says, for there is no heaven given to men by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. I'm so glad he pulled me out of that hole I was in there. Maybe you were too. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to continue the series, Unshakable Hope. This is week six. We have two more weeks. And today is about uh, the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jill Price is a woman who cannot forget. She has what scientists call hyperthymestic syndrome, which means she has continuous, automatic, autobiographical recall of every single day of her life from the age of 14 on. Now, most of us have a very selective memory. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so Jill, and in fact, some studies show that uh, we remember about 3% of life's events. So every year, probably 17 things stamp our memory and we stick with us. The rest we forget. But Jill Price remembers everything. For example, she remembers that the last episode of MASH aired on February 28, 1983. She also remembers that it was raining that day and her windshield wipers were not working very well. There's the breakdown. This is what she says. Imagine being able to remember every fight you've had with a friend, every time somebody let you down, all the stupid mistakes you've ever made, the meanest, most harmful things you've ever said to people and those they said to you. And then imagine not being able to push them out of your mind no matter what you try. But on top of that, emotions are still there just like they were. This is what she looked. Look on the screen. This is what she said. As I grew up, more and more memories were being stored in my brain. More and more of them flashed through my, my mind in this endless barrage. And I became a prisoner to my memory. Now, probably no one in this room has hyperthymestic syndrome. Thank, thank God. But I know that there are people perhaps in this room, and there are a lot of people in our world that are prisoners to one or two or three memories. Things that we should have forgiven or forgotten many years ago that we're hanging on to. And we live under a cloud of condemnation that we can't get over. There is a way out through the cross of Jesus Christ. Today, here's our scripture. Would you read it with me out loud? Therefore. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Stop. Start over. Start over. <laughs> I, was, I was all alone for a while, then you came. All right, here we go. Here we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to break this down pretty much word for word as we, phrase by phrase as we talk about this scripture today. First of all, the first word is therefore. Now, when I was in Bible college, my professor told me, if you see a therefore in the scripture, you need to find out what it's there for. So we're going to do that right now. Why is there no condemnation? We got to go back to Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 1 where it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. Some people think they need to get their act together before 
they go to church. Really? That's like saying, I need to go to the doctor. I should go to the doctor. I'm sick. But you know what? I'm going to try to get well first, and then I'm going to go to the doctor. It doesn't make sense. And God's love is demonstrated in the fact that while we were at our worst, he was at his best. His love is unconditional. It does not hinge upon what we do or don't do. God loves us perfectly. And when Jesus was on the cross, one of the most powerful things that he said were these three words, it is finished. Now, those words were actually borrowed from our, our, our financial, in the financial world, which means paid in full. It's like that final payment on a debt. So Jesus was saying, I'm making the final payment on your debt of sin that you owe. It's paid for. It's done. Now, that should get us excited, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever paid off a debt before, like a car loan or a college loan. Sorry for bringing that up. Still paying for those years later, right? I remember when I paid off my first car loan. Now, we were married a few couple years, and we, I never really had a nice car. And so I just decided I'm going to go out. I'm going to take out a loan and get a, a good car. So I, I did. I, it was probably a mistake, but I did it anyway. And I got this really nice, it's not even great of a vehicle. It's a Honda Accord, you know, but it was, to me, it was amazing. Like, it was a beautiful, like, cherry red Honda Accord. And it was new. I had, like, you know, a few thousand miles on it or whatever. And so I remember we paid for that for years. It was like five years. We finally paid that thing off. And I remember making that final payment because it was never really mine until I made that final payment. And that thing said, paid in full. I remember going out and driving that car that day and rolling down the windows, going for a little joyride, thinking, man, now it's mine. You know, this baby is mine. A couple years later, it was stolen. So, you know, what do you do? (laughs) But isn't it great to pay off something? Now, what about our spiritual debt? Isn't there any greater feeling than knowing that you've done all that you can, all this wrong? It's all been paid for already. It's already been paid for. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, so we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus says, all right, here's the deal. You give me all of your sin, okay? All the wrong things you've done. I'll take that all. And I'm going to trade that for all of the right things that I've done, Jesus says to us. Here's all of my righteousness. I'll take all of your sin, and we'll call it even. What a deal, right? What a deal, And that's the gospel. That's the transaction that happens when we put our faith in Christ. And that's why the Bible says that we're not saved by what we do. In fact, our good deeds, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. They amount to really not a whole lot. And all of sin falls short of the glory of God. We can't measure up. And the Bible says if you break one law, then you're a lawbreaker. All right, let's be honest this morning. How many of you have ever told a lie? Come on, raise your hand. You've told a lie. Some of you are lying right now. Come on, get the eye. Somebody's grabbing their friend's hand, holding it up for them, (laughs) all right? Have you ever cheated? You you cheated on a test, you cheated something, okay? Yeah, go ahead, it's all right. It's it's a cathartic moment for all of us here. How many of you have ever uh, stole anything, right? Even a small thing, like stole a couple dollars from your mom's purse when you were little? I don't know, okay. We are a group of lying cheating thieves, all right? Welcome to Mountain View Community Church this morning. (laughs) Hope you're having a great time. Look, the good news is that the Son of God went to the cross and offered his righteousness to us 
sinners. So that by putting our faith in him, this transaction takes place. Look at Colossians 2, 14 and 15. He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the statement of indebtedness with all its particulars that were against us and that stood opposed to us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is what Jesus did for us. We confess our sins. Lord, I worked really hard on this this morning. Okay, We confess our sins to him. And what does he do? It's like nailing it to the cross. Ouch, there it is. Even the hammer hitting the thumb, it's all there. It's all for effect, okay? Nailed it to the cross. Isn't that awesome that your sin, my sin, has been nailed at cross? When we confess it to him, it's there. So, that's why there's no condemnation. But what's the problem? The problem is, we pick up the hammer again, don't we? And what do we do? Turn it over to this claw part, whatever this thing's called, and we pry the nail out, and we take our sin, and we hang on to the guilt of it. We hang on to the shame of it. We hang on to the condemnation. That's what condemnation is, is we don't leave it there. We pick it up, and we hang on to it. But listen to what happens. Look at this. Is, this is some good smack talk from the Apostle Paul. This is what he said. Having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. If you read the rest of Romans 8, it says, we are now more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And the enemy is always going to try to remind us of our past and the sins that we've already confessed. And when he does that, my challenge to you is to remind him of his future. Because Jesus wins in the end. So why don't we get up every day? and live in that victory? Why don't we wake up every morning and remember that 2,000 years ago, it was finished? A lot of us live as if the outcome is still uncertain, like we're not sure. When Jesus broke the seal on the tomb, it sealed the victory that we have over death, sin, and the devil. The victory has been won, but yet we're still sometimes living with this, holding on to this. Therefore, that's why it's therefore. Okay, Jesus paid it. He paid it all. But let's look at this next line. Therefore, there is now. Stop right there. There is now. Everybody say now. That sounds like you're talking to your kids. Tell them, get in here now, right? And now, this moment, this instant, the key word is now. It's our present reality, not our past tense. The victory is now. It was won 2,000 years ago, and it's here now. We need to experience it now. Martin Luther said, live as if Christ was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is coming back tomorrow. But the problem is, a lot of our issues have to do with living in the past or worrying about the future, don't they? Why can't we live in the now sometimes? His mercies are new every morning. Every morning, we've got to go back to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, thank you for the victory that we have in you and live like we believe it. But we have a tendency to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember, don't we? We tend to remember the negative things that produce guilt in our lives instead of living in the victory that Christ won. What if every day we made a decision to spend more time contemplating the fact that God 
demonstrated his love for us by going to the cross, and then he walked out of that tomb, and then he's seated at the right hand of the Father. What if we thought about that more than this? Maybe we would begin to live in the victory that we've read this morning. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, present reality. The next part of the passage is no condemnation. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Nothing. No condemnation. Now, in the Greek language, what they would do is when they wrote in Greek, they would also they would frame their sentences to make sure that the first word of the sentence was the emphasis. Okay, So if there's a key word, it would always be the first word. Now, when they're translating from Greek, like the New Testament is in, written, was originally written in Greek, English, it doesn't sound good when you, when you read it. So let me give you an example. This is what Romans 8.1 says if you just translate it word for word in the Greek words. Okay, It says this, No condemnation, therefore, is there now for those in Christ Jesus. Okay? It doesn't sound really great, does it? But here's the thing. The first word is what? No. Come on, say it. No. Right? Every two-year-old's favorite word. No. Condemnation. Condemnation is a curse. It's a curse. And Jesus took that curse upon himself when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead. And so the curse of sin and death is broken so that now we have the power to break the cycle of sin. Now, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. And I want you to understand this this morning. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Conviction, if you're taking notes on the back of your bulletin, there's, there's a fill in the blank. So I want to give it to you right now. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. It's when you feel guilty for a sin that is unconfessed. Since the Holy Spirit loves us so much, and he's not going to let us wander into places that we shouldn't go without nudging us, saying, hey, this isn't a good place to go. Or let us do things that might hurt us or even kill us. What does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death, right? So we want to make sure that, that we listen to that conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's convicting us to a place where we realize that what we're doing isn't good. And we need to change that. And we need to fix that. And so conviction is life-giving. We need more conviction in our world. Come on. We need more of it. We need more of it in the church. Now, what we don't need is, on the other hand, condemnation. Condemnation can feel very similar to conviction. However, there's a big difference. Condemnation is feeling guilt for a sin that's already been confessed, already been nailed to the cross. So the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a wonderful thing. It's a godly guilt that brings us back to the point of confession and repentance. But condemnation comes from the accuser of the brethren, the devil, our enemy, who wants to remind us of everything we've done wrong ever in our lives, forever and ever and over again. Because if he can get us to live in our past guilt, we won't dream big kingdom dreams and we won't become everything that God wants us to be. At the turn of the 20th century, there was a Russian psychologist and doctor by the name of Ivan Pavlov. And he performed some experiments that won him a Nobel Prize. Uh, maybe you've heard of him from your high school class, if you remember back then. And the study went like this. So dogs naturally salivate when they see food or when they smell food. Just a, it's a natural response. So he thought, well, could I get these dogs to salivate without bringing food into the equation? Could they salivate to another stimulus? And so what he did 
you don't remember, is he rang a bell, and then he had the food there. He rang the bell, and then they salivated, and so they ate the food, right? And then eventually, he took the food away, and he just rang the bell, and the bell caused the dogs to salivate. And what he called that was a conditioned reflex. Now, in some ways, all of us are a little bit Pavlovian. We all have these conditioned reflexes. I have one that I'll share with you this morning. I can't stand the smell of peanut butter and celery. I get sick. I want to throw up when I smell it. Why is that? Anybody else? Does this happen to anybody else? Okay, so I'm the only one. Well, I'll tell you why it is. Because one night, uh, I ate peanut butter and celery, and I threw up over and over and over again. In fact, my wife was pregnant with our first child in the hospital on bed rest, like not even sure if like, the baby's going to be born healthy, and I'm freaking out, and, and she's on bed rest, and the monitor's all hooked up to her. I'm sick. I ate this peanut butter and celery the night before, and I feel like I want to throw up, and so I literally have to go home. I just It was killed me. I wanted to be with my wife, but I couldn't be there throwing up all over the room. I had to go home, and I threw up over and over and over again. Peanut butter and celery. I've never been that sick in my entire I can't even remember a time when I was that sick. So every time I smell peanut butter and celery, I just want to throw up. It's a conditioned reflex. All right, some of these things are normal or more natural, like when we blush, when we're embarrassed, or someone's flirting, you know, and we're blushing. Um, you know, some of it's laughter. That's natural. It's normal. It's a conditioned reflex. We laugh. Maybe it's nervous laughter. But some conditioned reflexes are destructive, like when we struggle and we decide to drown our sorrows in alcohol. You know, it may be subtle at first, but we push it to the limits, and pretty soon we get drunk, and we try to we use drunkenness as an escape to handle or to deal with our problems in the wrong way. That's a conditioned reflex. That's negative. And we need to understand that we all have these conditioned reflexes. Now, I believe that Jesus wants to recondition our reflexes. He wants to change the way we respond to things. He said this, love your enemies. Well, that's not very natural, is it? Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. If someone tries to make you go one mile, go two miles with them. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Well, that's not natural. What are our reflexes to that? Not what Jesus is saying. Those reactions are not natural. They must be conditioned by the Holy Spirit. Now, do you remember when Jesus, excuse me, when Peter denied Jesus three times? Picture this moment, okay? Jesus was sitting there with his disciples. He said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says what? No way. Not going to happen. Sure enough, Jesus is put on trial. Peter denies that he knows him. People ask him three times. He denies Jesus. And the rooster crows, just like Jesus predicted. And Peter looks and he sees. And Luke, it talks about how he looks at Jesus and Jesus looks back at him. Now, I'd like to speculate a little bit here what that look looked like. I don't think Jesus' look was condemnation. I don't think his look was judgment or anger or even frustration. You know what Jesus' look was in my estimation? And this is not in the Bible. My estimation is that when he looked at Jesus, he wanted to establish a relational connection with Peter. And he wanted to let him know, look, this is not the end. Yes, you made a mistake, but I love you. Stay with me, Peter. 
don't give up. I have great plans for you. We're going to get past this. I believe in you. You're going to do incredible things for my kingdom. That is what that look was when Jesus looked at Peter and Luke. However, saying all that, I wonder if from that moment in the next few days, every time Peter heard a rooster crow, he didn't feel that guilt. It was a reminder. It was a reflex. We're kind of wired that way, aren't we? Like, we hear certain things, sights, smells, sounds. They create impressions, or, or they remind us of things in our, our memory. They trigger a reflex. Like, every time I hear the song, Endless Love. It's an old song. All the young people don't even know what that song is. My endless love. Right? How many know what song I'm talking about, okay? Lionel Richie, I think, is the guy. Had the big afro at the time. What a great singer, Lionel Richie. And so it, why, do, why does that song transport me somewhere? It transports me. I'll tell you where it transports me. It puts me in San Francisco, downtown San Francisco, in a small little sound booth, recording the song with my wife on Pier 39 or wherever it was. And remember the little booth? Yeah, she remembers. She's there too, right? We're transported together. And we're recording this little guy, this song, and it's a little tiny booth. And you know what they do? They give us a tape of the recording. That's what they gave us. That's how old it was, right? They gave us a tape, a tape recorder. And I don't even have a tape recorder anymore. I can't even listen to it, but I still have the tape. I haven't thrown it away. Every time I hear that song, maybe your song is something different. I don't know what it is. But it takes you somewhere every time you hear it. And it's hard to understand the rooster thing a little bit. City. I'm not a farmer. I don't have chickens running around. Maybe some of you do. Maybe a lot of you live in urban areas where there aren't too many roosters in your neighborhood. But I've been in places where there have been roosters when I woke up. In fact, uh, Vietnam, I was there a few years ago. And Vietnam, there's chickens running around everywhere. So all these cute little chickens, they're like, oh, isn't this fun? You know, these roosters don't have these at home running around my house. And it's kind of cool seeing them all. And you're like, hey, what a great place to be in Vietnam. It's a neat culture of things. And you go to bed and you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning because all those Roosters are deciding they're going to crow, right? It's not even light yet. I mean, it's dark outside. These guys forgot to set their clocks forward or something. They're crowing and crowing. I'm like, I'm trying to sleep. I don't get it. And there's, there's tons of them. They're everywhere. And this is the kind of culture that Peter grew up in. These, these roosters were everywhere. And every morning was a reminder of the greatest mistake he'd ever made. Every morning he would wake up and his brain was conditioned by his denial of Jesus. When he needed Jesus the most, he failed him. And so the Bible says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, right? But for Peter, he strutted around like a rooster. I mean, every time he saw a rooster, it was like, oh, the the mistake I made. Peter woke up and he heard, cock-a-doodle-doo, you loser. What he heard. Remember that night when Jesus needed you and you denied him? Cock a doodle doo. Every day he was conditioned hundreds of times. Now, fast forward to John chapter 21. Okay? Jesus is on the shore. And, and, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, I don't know why he wanted to go fishing. Maybe just because he wanted to go fishing. Maybe he was saying something, though. Maybe he was saying, you know what? I'm no longer worthy to be a disciple. I'm going to go back to my boat, and I'm going to fish, because that's what I know what to do. 
I'm probably disqualified. I'm going to go back to my way of life. And there's nothing the enemy would have loved more than to see Peter wallow in his sorrow, wallow in his guilt and shame for years and years and years on that boat fishing in the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus had other plans. Jesus showed up on the shore. And so we know this interaction happens. And Jesus and Peter begin to talk. And Jesus says, the first thing he says is, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. He says it again. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, of course I love you. Feed my sheep. He says it a third time. Peter, do you love me? And Peter at this time gets frustrated. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. But is it possible that Jesus knew something about conditioned reflexes before Ivan Pavlov figured this out? Three times, Jesus reconditions Peter's heart. Do you love me? He reaffirms him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Now, you, that may not be a, a mind-blowing concept to you because you've probably heard something like that before in a sermon. But there's something else interesting that I see here. You ever notice what time of day it was? It's the morning, right? Early morning. He's out there fishing. And he's making breakfast. Jesus is making breakfast. Now, I think it's significant that it was early in the morning because when do roosters crow? Early in the morning. So it's up until this moment, the rooster crow produced a conditioned reflex in Peter that was negative, guilt, shame. But from this day forward, when he heard that rooster crow, he remembered Jesus on the shore asking him if he loved him. And he said, yes, I love you. It was a different memory. I'm not giving up on you, Peter. That's the memory he heard when he heard the rooster crow. I'm coming after you. You're going to do this. I believe in you. We're going to do this together. You denied me, but I love you. We are in this together. I'm going to make you say you love me three times because we're going to get to the bottom of whatever guilt, whatever doubt, whatever condemnation the enemy wants to speak to you right now, Peter. I want to make sure from this day forward, every time you hear a rooster crow, that you're reminded that my mercies are new every morning. The accuser of the brethren wants to condition you with guilt, but Jesus wants to recondition you with his grace. There's a simple equation I want you to consider this morning. Sin minus grace equals guilt. But sin plus grace equals gratitude. Here's the kicker. When you receive the free gift that God offers you, the sin that was in your life no longer produces guilt because it's forgiven, right? It's nailed to the cross. It's there. It's not coming back. But the memory of our sins, because of God's grace, produces gratitude for what he's done. He's forgiven me. Oh, man, I blew it. But guess what? He forgave me. He washed me as white as Snow, and I'm grateful for the Son of God who went to the cross to do that for me and for you. That's where the victory is won or lost. If we could get that concept from here to here and even into our gut, if we could live like that, friends, our lives would be different. Therefore, there is no condemnation now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I've never met anyone who couldn't handle a little bit or need a little counseling. But I think there are some problems that counseling can't solve. 
There's some things that we need to take to the counselor, the Holy Spirit. By getting into God's presence, by allowing the Holy Spirit to, into the corners of our hearts, like that song we sang this morning, blow into the caverns of my soul. Your memories, your past. Some of us, we don't want to go there. We don't want to let the Holy Spirit to blow into those caverns, right? We want to we leave those things alone. We don't want to touch those things because we feel guilt and, and, and shame about those things. And we wonder why we feel that. But listen, friends, there is no condemnation now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the last phrase, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that last phrase, in Christ, could be one of the most important phrases in the whole New Testament. It's repeated over and over again. It's the big question. Are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? Are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? 115 times in the book of Romans, are you in Christ? In Christ. How do you get in? Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you are in Christ. It's about faith. It's about putting our faith in Christ. The Bible says, to as many have received him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are adopted into the family of God. When you put your faith in Christ, immediately your adoption becomes final. It's an incredible thing. And I I would love for everyone in this room to have that opportunity today. Just a moment, we're going to receive communion. And if our uh, worship team could come back, that would be great. We're going to wrap up as a response and receive communion together. Now, communion reminds me of a wedding. It's a covenant, right? That's the key word, covenant. I've done weddings, and you know, pretty much every wedding has similar things. The vows are exchanged, rings are exchanged, and the pastor says something about the covenant of marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant between two people, and a covenant between God, right? And so, and I don't know how it works. The Bible talks about two becoming one. It's a mystery. We don't know how it works, but when two people commit their lives to one another and become one flesh, they now enter into a holy covenant with one another. And I think communion is a little bit like that. See, communion is a covenant. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's almost like Jesus is standing at the altar and he's saying, here is my vow to you. I showed you how much I loved you on the cross, but it's up to you and it's up to me whether we enter into that covenant relationship with the Lord. What I know is this, God wants a relationship with every single person here in this room, every single person in the world. And our sins have been nailed to the cross. They're there. They're nailed to the cross. If we've confessed them, But here's the thing. We've got to kneel at the foot of the cross to receive that free gift that God has given. And that transaction I talked about happens when we put our faith in Christ. If we simply put our faith and trust in him that moment, our eternity changes. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about the greatest news ever, the gospel the fact that you gave it all for us on the cross. And you died. And you didn't stay in that tomb, Lord. You rose again. And you sealed the victory that we share with you. 
So today I pray you reveal yourself to people right now. Holy Spirit, go to work in our hearts. We give you opportunity now, Lord, to speak to us in this moment. Keep your heads bowed, friends, if you would. Keep your eyes closed for a second. No one looking around. I just want to ask you, first of all, a simple question. Are you in Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus? You're either in Christ or you're not. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to be in Christ, to say yes to Jesus, to step across the line and say, I want to follow Christ. I want my sins forgiven and nailed to that cross. I want to get rid of this guilt and the shame that I have. I'm done living for myself. I want to live for Jesus. I want to follow him. Maybe you're feeling a tug on your heart today. If that's true, maybe perhaps that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I would just ask you to do this today. If you'd like to receive Jesus, if you'd like to follow him, do this really simple thing for me if you would. With no one looking around, I want you just to look up and make eye contact with me real quick. Look up real quick and just make eye contact with me. And I want to pray for you, okay? Yeah, anybody else? I want to, I want to follow Jesus today. I'm looking around. I want to make eye contact with you. I want to follow Jesus today. Anybody else? Okay. Lord, I pray for these that have said they want to follow you. God, I'm just humbled that you've done so much for us, Lord that you are a righteous God, you're a holy God, and yet you loved us. You came down into that hole and you helped us out. Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name for those that have have raised their head and say, I want to follow you. I pray they'd know you. I pray they would seek you. And Lord, by faith, right now in this moment, they would put their faith in you. Confess you as Lord and Savior. And live for you all the days of their life. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment longer, friends. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, I'm, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've confessed sins, but you know what? I'm still hanging on to some guilt. I'm still hanging on to some condemnation. I want to let it go today. I can't hold on to it anymore. I just need to let it go. I need to put it at the foot of the cross and leave it there today. If that's you, say, I'm struggling with some guilt. I'm struggling with some stuff I've done in the past. It's, for, it's forgiven, but I keep hanging on to it. And I want to let go of it today. If that's you, would you lift your hand right now so I can pray for you? Anyone here today? I need to let go of some stuff. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Anybody else? I need to let go of some stuff. Uh-huh, I see those hands. Put them down. Anybody else? I, I have to let go of some stuff. Lord God, I thank you for those that have been honest today to say their hands and things. They need to let go. They need to claim this verse. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. And I pray that they would leave those sins nailed to the cross. They're there, God. They're forgiven. They're washed. They're clean. And Lord, help them to move on today, knowing that they can live in the victory that you have for them every single day to know that you pay for those sins. As tough as it is, we, we, we don't deserve it. It's grace. It's unmerited favor. We don't, we don't get it, Lord, but we know that you're gracious. And so we thank you for your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen.